Hi everyone, my name is Sua Lee from the Stein Monogastric Nutrition Laboratory at the University of Illinois. I'll be discussing digestibility of calcium and phosphorus in feed ingredients fed to gestating cells and growing pigs. Most data were from my PhD experiments, and this work was presented as Young Scholar Presentation in 2020 ASAS Midwest Meeting. Let's start with take-home messages before we go over to the presentation. First, calcium and phosphorus digestibility is much less in gestating cells compared with growing pigs. Second, calcium and phosphorus digestibility and retention are greater in late gestation than in earlier periods of gestation. Third, phytase increased digestibility of both phosphorus and calcium in growing pigs. Fourth, Phytase effects on calcium and phosphorus are ingredient-specific. Lastly, phytase effects are less predictable in gestating cells than growing pigs. Let's see how we have come up with these take-home messages. This was published in 2016. The horizontal axis represents dietary calcium that is expected concentration of calcium when formulating diet, and the vertical axis represents the actual calcium levels in diet. The authors drew a black regression line that corresponds to these dots. To understand this better, let's draw a red line where y equals x. We can see that the black line is above the red line which means that analyzed calcium is greater than expected calcium. Therefore, we learned from this graph that the actual calcium in diets are greater than what we meant it to be. One of the most possible reasons is that calcium sources, such as calcium carbonate, are relatively inexpensive compared with other feed ingredients, meaning that there will be no harm if we put more of the cheaper feed ingredients when formulating diets. Another possible reason is that a lot of feed additives or sometimes feed ingredients contain calcium carbonate as a carrier or a flow enhancer. What would happen if calcium in diets is too high? First thing that we should worry about is phosphorus digestibility. A previous study in 2011 demonstrated that as dietary calcium increases, shown in the x-axis in this graph, digestibility of phosphorus linearly decreases. Excess calcium also has a negative effect on growth of pigs, and this has been shown in a number of studies already. This photo was taken in one of calcium requirement studies in our laboratory. We can see the big difference in the body size of pigs when they were fed high versus low calcium diets with the same phosphorus level. To prevent oversupply of calcium, therefore, feed ingredients should be evaluated based on digestible calcium. Like amino acid, we had a question if we need to determine the phosphorus and calcium digestibility in ileum or tract. Several studies indicated that the ileal digestibility and torrid tract digestibility are not different, which means that we may determine the torrid tract digestibility of phosphorus and calcium. However, there were challenges with the apparent torrid tract digestibility 
ATTD values. This study was published in 2001, and the authors determined the ATTD of phosphorus in percent in diets containing different inclusion rates of soybean meal. The only source of phosphorus was from soybean meal, and the ATTD of phosphorus increased as concentration of phosphorus from soybean meal increased. Same story was observed in 2013. The authors determined the ATTD of calcium in diets containing about 12 to 50% canola meal. As the inclusion rate of canola meal increased, the concentration of calcium increased as well. Data indicated that the ATTD of calcium linearly increased as calcium in diets increased. These observations can be explained by basal endozoanus losses. When looking at the composition of nutrients in fecal samples of pigs, not only diet originated nutrients, but also basal endozoanus loss originated nutrients are contained. Standardized torrid tract adaptability, STTD, is calculated by correcting ATTD with the basal endozoanus loss. And these values for the STTD is believed additive in a complete diet. Values for the STTD of phosphorus and calcium in feed ingredients are available in NRC 2012 and a paper by Stan and his colleague in 2016, respectively. However, most of the values were obtained from growing pigs, and these values were also used in South's practical application. Therefore, a question remains if the STTD values for calcium and phosphorus are also applied to diets for sows. The basal endogenous losses of calcium and phosphorus were 430 and 160 mg per kilogram of dry matter intake, respectively, which were close to the values that were reported previously. However, gestating sows had more than three times greater basal endogenous losses of calcium and phosphorus compared with growing pigs. Unlike growing pigs, there were no data reported previously. Before we look at the data for the STTD of calcium, let me set up the slide. In the bottom, different physiological states that were gestating sows and growing pigs were presented and were divided into normal or high phytate levels within each physiological state. The normal diets included corn, soybean meal, and inorganic sources of calcium and phosphorus, and the high phytate diets included the same ingredients as the normal diet and 40% rice bran that contains a high phytate-bound phosphorus. The vertical axis represents the STTD of calcium in percent. Interaction between phytate level and physiological state was observed. The STTD of calcium was greater if growing pigs were fed the low phytate diet than if they were fed the high phytate diet, and this agrees with previous data. However, phytate level did not affect the STTD of calcium by gestating cells. Regardless of phytate level, gestating cells had reduced STTD of calcium compared with growing pigs. Basically, a similar story was observed for the STTD of phosphorus. 
there was an interaction between phytate level and physiological state. The acetate of phosphorus was greater if pigs were fed the low phytate diet rather than the high phytate diet. But the difference was greater if growing pigs rather than gestating cells were fed the diet. Regardless of phytate level, gestating cells had reduced acetate of phosphorus compared with growing pigs, and growing pigs are likely more affected by phytate level. The previous experiment used cells in meat gestation. It is possible that the acetate of calcium differs among cells in different gestation periods, possibly because of different calcium requirements or feed intake. Therefore, we conducted another experiment where the basal endogenous loss of calcium and digestibility were compared among different gestation periods. I would like to point out that feed intake increased from early to mid to late gestation because the body weight of cells increased. Now we are looking at the basal endogenous loss of calcium from gestating cells fed the corn-based calcium-free diet. The basal endogenous loss of calcium was greatest by cells in early gestation, followed by cells in mid and late gestation periods, respectively. The ATTD of calcium was corrected with each value of the basal endogenous loss of calcium, and the values for the acetate of calcium in calcium carbonate were 42, 28, and 48% respectively for early, mid, and late cessation, with mid-cessation cells having the least digestibility. Looking at the ATT the phosphorus in diet, the values were 24, 14, and 36% respectively for early, mid, and late cessation, with mid-gestation cells having the least digestibility and late-gestation cells the greatest. Again, cells have very low digestibility of phosphorus when we compare with previous data from growing pigs. I did not show in this presentation, but we found the similar trend for retention data. Then, what are the reasons for the differences in calcium and phosphorus balance? Cells in late gestation need much calcium and phosphorus because of greater need for fetus growth. Also, cells in early gestation need calcium and phosphorus to compensate the loss with lactation. It seems that cells in mid gestation regulate calcium absorption and retention because they may not need as much calcium as cells in other periods. It is well demonstrated that minerals that are positively charged tend to chelate to phytate when phytate becomes negatively charged. Phytate from plant feed ingredients, including corn, soybean meal, and so on, can bind to calcium ions in the gastrointestinal tract of pigs because the phytate is a strong chelator and therefore calcium digestibility decreases. However, use of microbial phytase may increase not only phosphorus, but also calcium digestibility. This was published in 2010, and the authors determined the ATTD of phosphorus in different feed ingredients without or with phytase. Data indicated that 
the ATTDL phosphorus in corn without phytase was 27% and increased to 62% when phytase was used in the diet. Same story was observed in soybean meal that the ATTDL phosphorus was increased from 49 to 75% when phytase was used. However, use of phytase did not affect the ATTDL phosphorus in DDGS. The reason for the no phytase effect was that in the production of the DDGS, phytase is usually used in the fermentation process, which results in a decrease in phytate-bound phosphorus in DDGS. This indicates that the phytase effect on the ATTDL phosphorus is ingredient-specific because it depends on the amount of substrate phytate. This study was published in 2015, and this graph shows the ATTD of calcium in inorganic calcium supplement in percent. As expected, the ATTD of calcium in calcium carbonate increased from 60 to 73% by supplementing microbial phytase to the diet. This clearly indicates that calcium from calcium carbonate binds to phytate from corn and use of phytase released calcium from the calcium phytate complex. However, the STTD of calcium in MCP and DCP was not affected by using microbial phytase. We repeated this for many times, but same was observed. This can be explained by calcium in MCP or DCP strongly binding to phosphate rather than to phytate. We conducted another experiment to investigate the effects of different suppliers of calcium carbonate and phytase. There were four different sources of calcium carbonate from four different suppliers, and eight corn-based diets were formulated without and with phytase. Interaction between phytase and source of calcium carbonate was not significant. Values for the STTD of calcium ranged from 71 to 75% when no phytase was used. Supplementation of phytase increased the STTD of calcium in calcium carbonate. Again, the increase in the digestibility of calcium is because phytase from the corn chelates calcium from calcium carbonate and phytase can release the calcium from the phytate-calcium complex. Regardless of use of phytase, source D had the least and source A had the greatest values for the STTD of calcium. We also determined the basal endogenous loss of calcium without and with phytase in corn-based calcium-free diet. The basal endogenous loss of calcium was 463 mg per kilogram of dry matter intake, and this value was close to the values obtained in the previous data. The basal endogenous loss of calcium was reduced to 304 mg per kilogram of dry matter intake when microbial phytase was supplemented to the calcium-free diet, meaning that phytate from corn can also bind to calcium ions from the basal endogenous loss of calcium and that use of phytase releases the calcium from the phytate-calcium complex. Then what about ingest-setting cells? 
Is microbiophytase also working in them? In another study, we determined the basal endogenous loss of calcium in cells in early, mid, and late gestation fed the corn-based calcium-free diet without and with phytase. The basal endogenous loss of calcium was approximately 1,100 mg per kilogram of dry matter intake. The basal endogenous loss of calcium was reduced to about 860 mg per kilogram of dry matter intake when microbiophytase was supplemented to the calcium-free diet. The phytase was also working in gestating cells to release calcium ions that are endogenous originated from the phytate. In the same study, we determined the STTD of calcium in calcium carbonate and the ATTD of phosphorus in corn and monosodium phosphate in cells. The STTD of calcium in calcium carbonate was approximately 40% when no phytase was used. However, supplementation of phytase did not increase the STTD of calcium in calcium carbonate. The ATTD of phosphorus was not affected by use of phytase as well. These observations were not expected because usually phytase works very well in growing pigs. In the same experiment, we found that the ATTD of phosphorus in diets containing the same amount of corn and monosodium phosphate fed to gestating cells were much different between calcium-free diet and calcium carbonate-containing diet. Only difference was the calcium level in diet, no calcium in calcium-free, but certain amount of calcium was provided from calcium carbonate in the second diet. Therefore, next experiment was conducted if increasing calcium in diet affects calcium and phosphorus balance and some blood biomarker. A total of four diets were formulated. First diet contained corn, soybean meal, and sugar beet pulp. Calcium carbonate and monosodium phosphate was also added, but the level of calcium and phosphorus were only at 25% of requirement. From the second diet, more calcium carbonate was added to have 50, 75, and 100% of the requirement with a constant level of phosphorus. The four diets contained 0.18 to 0.72% calcium and 0.56% phosphorus. Jumping to the result, let me set up the slide. The horizontal axis represents percentage requirement of calcium that are 25% or the way of 100%. The vertical axis represents the ATTD of calcium and phosphorus in percent. As dietary calcium increased, the ATTD of calcium quadratically increased. This increase can be explained by different contributions of the basal endogenous loss of calcium when calcium concentration varies from low to high. What about phosphorus? As dietary calcium increased, the ATTD of phosphorus linearly decreased, and this was also observed in growing pigs data. This decrease can be explained by the calcium and phosphorus precipitation in the intestinal tract of pigs. Now, we are looking at the retention of calcium and phosphorus in percent in the vertical axis. 
Retained calcium and phosphorus were calculated by subtracting calcium and phosphorus in feces and urine from intake of calcium and phosphorus, respectively. As calcium increased in diet, retention of calcium quadratically increased. The quadratic increase in the ATTD of calcium can be one of the reasons for the quadratic increase in retention. We found that increasing dietary calcium decreased the ATTD of phosphorus, then what about retention? As calcium increased in diet, retention of phosphorus linearly increased, and this was an opposite situation to the digestibility data. It has been known that the synthesis of bone tissues, which is the primary role of calcium and phosphorus, requires calcium and phosphorus in the body at the same time. Therefore, as more calcium was available in the body as calcium increased in the diet, utilization of observed phosphorus increased in the body. There are two bone cells that are working on bone turnover. First one is osteoblast that is in charge of formation, and second one is osteoclast that is in charge of breaking down. The idea was if byproducts of those cells are analyzed in blood or urine, we may predict the bone formation and resorption. Because the body keeps forming and breaking down the bone cells, we have calculated the ratio between osteocalcin and CTX1 concentrations. Osteocalcin is a bone formation biomarker, and CTX1 is a bone resorption biomarker. As calcium in diets increased, the ratio linearly increased, which indicates that there were more bone formation over bone resorption. This result is in agreement with calcium and phosphorus balance data showing that more calcium and phosphorus were retained to synthesize bone tissues. Let's move into overall conclusions. First, Calcium and phosphorus digestibility and retention are much less in gestating cells compared with growing pigs. Second, calcium and phosphorus digestibility and retention are greater in late gestation than in earlier periods of gestation. Third, phytase increased digestibility of both phosphorus and calcium in growing pigs. Fourth, phytase effect on calcium and phosphorus are ingredient-specific because of its substrate, phytate. Fifth, phytase effects are less predictable in gestating cells than in growing pigs. Lastly, some blood biomarkers may be useful to predict bone turnover status of cells. I would like to acknowledge AB Vista for financial support for my PhD work and everyone from Dr. Stein's lab. If you want to learn about the research we are conducting in the Stein Monogastric Nutrition Laboratory, please visit our website or search Stein and Pick on Google. Thank you for listening.